This is CliffCentral.com. Good afternoon. My name is Sonia Booth. Welcome to the Opinion Booth. Whew. That song got me in such a fabulous, positive mood. Mm-mm-mm. So now, I think it's safe that you can gauge someone's mental state, energy, and aura from their song playlist. I knew I would connect on a positive level with today's guest when I saw her top five songs. Sarah is an award-winning mountaineer, Ubuntu Everest. That's her tagline. Climbing with a purpose. A Mandela Libraries ambassador, a social entrepreneur, mother of two boys, and also an executive in one of the distinguished financial institutions in Sudafrique, Mzanzi. She summits mountains not only to test her mental capacity and endurance, but to also raise money for worthy courses and initiatives. Climbing Kilimanjaro made it possible for Kids Haven to have an outdoor gym and a library. Her Ubuntu Everest Summit in 2014 raised funds for the Lunchbox Fund to feed over 60,000 kids. In the next summit in 2015, raised funds for the Mandela Library projects and built a library for Isizi by primary school in Tembisa. This was followed in 2017 by yet another summit, which raised over 800,000 for the Mandela Library projects and built four libraries around South Africa. She continues to campaign for more libraries through her mission to summit seven highest peaks on the seven continents around the world. Sarah, welcome to the Opinion Brief. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you for having me. I'm curious, is there a story behind the spelling of your name? Oh, yeah. Um, So... (laughs) When I was born, I went to stay with my grandparents that were uh, living in Zaire, DRC. That at the time it was called Zaire, and the president at the time, Obutu Sesaseko, did not want African, well, black African kids to have European names. So, my grandfather, instead of changing my name completely, just removed the H and put a Y, just like Ibrahim's wife. Also, her name was changed in terms of the last um, de- uh, letter on her name, so it became Sarah. Oh, yes. okay, because I thought it was more like the Indian version spelling of Sarah. No. Aha. Uh-huh. No. Okay. So now your Twitter bio reads, an ordinary African woman climbing seven summits with a purpose, Mandela Library's ambassador, 2014 Adventurer of the Year, 2017 MMI Lisedi Award winner, yeah. adventurer and social activist. Yeah. There's nothing ordinary about that. Um, when I started, I, I actually said I'm an ordinary African uh, woman. I've, I've subsequently changed. Maybe I need to change all that stuff. I believe we are all, all extraordinary. We decide to be ordinary. Um, and um, maybe I need to change that too. Um, I think we are all extraordinary. The X is for us to lose. We, we don't need to actually do much to lose the X, but uh, unfortunately, most of us uh, choose to be ordinary. Because, I mean, someone like you, who I would consider extraordinary, I mean, you are laden with accolades and accomplishments. I mean, we are talking an endurance award, record holder for the highest altitude clamber for a black African female, 
Ministerial Recognition and Excellence Award, etc., etc. You are made of something else. And I asked you just before the show, <laughs> what, 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 what has made this person that you are? I know you shared a story about yeah. the fact that the, the whole mindset changed as soon as you turned 40. That's correct. Yeah. I, I, I think um, it's just realizing that, um, you know, we're not here to live forever. Um, you know, how do we want to, to leave the world? Uh, I lost uh, my older sister when I turned 40. And I think that made me go through almost like introspection. And I decided to claim my life back and do stuff that will actually make a difference. And I, I suppose at the time I said I'm ordinary because all these accolades have come because of the, uh, perseverance, resilience, and keeping at it, um, even when um, things seem like they're falling apart everywhere. You know, um, you you said uh, the next library after a summit, it wasn't the summit. So it's a summit for me because the library is there, but the, the real summit of Everest in 2014, we only went up to base camp, and, and the mountain was closed after 16 shepherds died. Um, 2017, I only went up to camp two, and there was an earthquake, and we had to come back. It's, it's really just uh, not giving up and, and keeping ahead and being clear um, of the dream that it is, even though everybody around you does not believe in it. I have the conviction in what my purpose is, and, and I keep pushing. And like many things, for kids, it may be homework. Um, for mothers, it may be that uh, dream that you are almost second-guessing yourself on and putting your kids um, ahead, which is fine, as long as you're comfortable with that. But if you leave um, to see them go into their homes and regret the time, then go, get up and do something about it. Because it is your dream and we have one life and we need to just take control of that. I love your attitude. <laughs> first things first, yeah. how does a normal person like me who only does 30 minutes of gym three times <laughs> a week, how do I even begin to prepare for a climb? I think 30 minutes is, is amazing. That's good. I used to be a couch potato. I mean, I didn't have any gym membership. So 30 minutes is amazing. It's a good start. Um, climbing what I've picked up uh, over the, the little time that I've been doing it is um, people that run, um, cycle. So a lot of cardio, strength training um, gets you ready. Um, I do uh, train a lot if um, if I'm going for a big climb uh, like Everest. So you have a six months plan, uh, even more than that. You need to train even for two years. I actually feel looking back the first time that I went after just having done Kilimanjaro that it was actually um, a little bit careless. Um, you know, um, I think you you need to be ready mentally, physically, because at some point, um, you know, the the physical. Uh, strength only doesn't take you to the next uh, step. You you just need to be mentally ready. So, yeah, I train in the morning before I climb, and I train in the evening as well. Um, a different um, type of training. So I combine um, cardio, strength, and and also stretches. Very bad at stretches. So I think every time I join a yoga class, the the instructor picks me up. <laughs> Terrible at stretching, uh -huh. but uh, yeah, a lot of it is fun. You know, I think it's important to have fun with what you're absolutely. doing. Absolutely, absolutely. But now, what are you talking about? I mean, when you say you train in the morning and then you train after work in the yeah. evenings, what are we talking? Half an hour, an hour, two hours? So, no, well, uh, during the week, um, I leave home at five o'clock. I train from six. You to leave seven. home at five. Yes. What time I, do you have to wake up? Um, <laughs> just before five. <laughs> <laughs> 
wow. let's not scare people now. Um, and uh, so I trained for about an hour, an hour and a half. Um, and uh, then I'm in the office at eight. Um, in the evening, I do an hour, an hour and a half or two hours. Um, and um, and that will be like for six months before a big climb. Is this every day? Um, yeah, every day except Fridays. So Friday I do um, <laughs> like body tech. Uh, which is my rest day, although my bio believes it's not a rest day. I must do absolutely nothing if it has to be a rest day. Um, and then weekends, then I do the long runs. Um, since I don't, I don't cycle anymore. I used to cycle and I stopped. Yeah. Because I mean, the, the, the expedition to Mount Everest takes a whole two months. Yes. That's a long time. Yeah. That requires patience, a lot of patience, something that you would have learned. In motherhood, yeah, is that where you where, where you were trained without you knowing at the time <laughs> that you were being trained to be on an expedition for a whole two months before you actually reach the peak? Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it does require patience. Um, I don't know where I learned it from, but yes, motherhood <laughs> does uh, require a lot of patience. Um, and I think also leadership. If if you get into a team with different people, different dynamics, you just have to be patient to get the project to move forward. So um, there's um, there's a lot of waiting on the mountain. The difference between the mountain and down here is that the weather has its own mind. I suppose kids also do. Um, of course, <laughs> or I should know. You have two boys. I've got two boys, so I can relate. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, it's it's the uncontrollable factors that are there. It's new people that we've met. Um, it's team members that you need to depend on. It's it's a team that you've met for the first time that you need to make sure you have a good team dynamic with, apart from the weather and everything else that happens on the mountain that you need to deal with. It's, it's other teams on the mountain. It's also the fact that you may actually get sick for whatever reason, um, and that ends the climb, and you need to find a way to manage that. How do you go to lower altitude as an example to, to recover before you go back up? Um, so there's, there's a lot of things um, that comes into play. Cheap as well. Uh, I'm, um, yeah, I, not that I was planning to join you anytime well, soon. Well, I thought but, before hmm. the show you promised to come with now, the base <laughs> Now I'm like, hmm, this woman, <laughs> she's got thrill seeking issues. <laughs> now take us through the itinerary. I mean, the meals. I mean, I'm curious, hmm. what do you eat? Cause I mean, it's not like you, you have a, a chef. I mean, the shepherds hmm. are there to guide you, right? Yeah. So take us through meal. Preparations, who does that? Maintaining good hygiene in those icy cold waters. And I'm imagining after seeing the tents, I'm imagining mm. you sleep in layers and then now in the middle of the night you need the toilet. What mm. happens? Oh, okay. Wow. Um, so there's different sides to the, to the climbing. When you start, you, you start with uh, landing in Lukla. Uh, which is one of the most dangerous airports in the world. Um, and you go up from Lukla to base camp, you stay in tea houses. So um, they have uh, accommodation for you and they cook meals for you. It's like a little restaurant. But mostly what happens is you have to take a lot of um, uh, of tea and water and um, they make everything that you need. But there's a lot of rice noodles, um, a lot of like Asian type of cooking. At base camp, um, I love it at base camp because you have a, the, the tent to yourself. You don't share. Um, but you still, you actually have a chef at base camp. We, we call him, we call them cooks. 
there would be maybe a shepherd, but that doesn't really do the climbing or fixing ropes or whatever. But all he does is cooking, and he's got he's got to help. Um, they make lots of things. They even make cake when it's your birthday. You know, mm. don't ask me about the taste, but they do. So they try and make it as as comfortable as possible. There's a lot of snacks um, because with altitude, you you lose your appetite. They try and give you as much snacks as as possible. But uh, I like carrying something of my own, like a bit of biltong. You know, um, and stuff that will remind you of home for the two months that uh, you're out there. Um, after base camp, it becomes tricky because everything that you eat, you need to carry. So um, you you then go up. That's when the shepherd, the guides, the shepherd that guides you actually makes the food for you. Um, and above base camp, you start sharing again. You share tents and um and really, mostly you eat dry foods, stuff that you put water in and um, and eat, um, other than base, uh, base camp where you actually have fresh vegetables, you have fruit and, and stuff like that, which is flown in and sometimes brought in with yaks from uh, Lukla. So we're talking two-minute noodles. Oh, yeah, above base camp, yes. Wow, okay. So now you, you mentioned that your taste... Buds are altered. Is, is, is that whilst you actually up yeah. there at base camp? Generally, you see, base camp is about 5,300, just 500 less than Kili, which is why you and I are going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she, she thinks. <laughs> so, um, the higher you go, generally, uh, people's uh, appetite reduces. Um, and generally, some people it doesn't, but most people their appetite reduces, and and that's one of the ways that shapers try and see if you're getting altitude sickness. You know, are you changing how you're eating compared to how you were eating? So when they watch down? you. Oh, absolutely, and then, and you also watch each other. You know, keeping each other accountable to say what's going on, and if there's something wrong, always important to tell everybody else that you know, uh, or somebody in the team that I've got a headache. This is what's happening, so that um, we we watch out for each other. Like I said, in the Two months, you just need to bond, eh? Because our lives depend on each other up there. Wow. Okay. So now, there's clothing. Yeah. Climbing equipment. There's flights. Yeah. There's hotels. The meals. Yeah. All these things cost money. This is not something that you average person can undertake financially. That is. I mean, most of your climbs have been self-funded. Yeah. How much are we talking about? Um. It depends on who you go with, but on average, um, Everest, as an example, is about fifty thousand US dollars. Um, fifty thousand yeah. US dollars. The the permit itself is eleven of that of that fifty. The rest of it is you paying for the guides, the picking up the stuff with, uh, for you, the shaper, the personal shaper that you get, the bonuses that you have to pay them um, beyond after you go beyond uh, camp two and so forth. Yeah. The bonuses for the shepherds. Yes. Because they, they play a vital role, right? Yeah, absolutely, they do. Yeah. They. Because I saw, uh, I mean, I, I, I Googled a lot yesterday because I didn't know much about mountaineering until oh, really? I actually, you know, had to start doing some research to interview okay. you. You could pay as much as 70,000 US dollars. Yeah. And that's an equivalent of a million rand as yeah. at the current exchange rate. Yes. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that is. And I believe one South African was caught hiding in a cave <laughs> last year because he was yeah. avoiding the p- paying for the permit. Yeah. Which was about eight and a half thousand pounds. Yeah. 167,000 for permission to climb. Yeah. You're risking your life and you're paying somebody 167,000 rands 
to risk your life. Yeah, but but one could argue that um, you know you you ask people to pay to get into the Kruger. We're not going to allow people to just come into our gates. Look a, at a our Kruger, Kruger's fifty rands. <laughs> I know, but it's it's a payment. Um, maybe we should actually reevaluate and see should it be fifty rands for everybody around the world. You know, I think Nepal. Uh, I frankly feel that the eleven thousand is a bit is a bit much. Um, but that's the price tag that they've put in. It's the only highest mountain in the world. Um, they know we're not going to go next door because, true, <laughs> true. you know, scarcity, I suppose, has been built into the price. They know they've got something great going on there. That's it. And I mean, that, 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 the, the mountain itself, I think, I stand to be corrected, is probably one of the highest, um, GDP contributors in. It, it is. It is. So, it is. okay, it makes, it makes sense. They, they knew they had a good thing, right? Yeah. So now, speaking of logistics and preparations, mm. last week saw the death of three firefighters yes. during the fire in Jobbik CBD. Which was unfortunate. And very unfortunate. Yeah. Especially when you consider contradicting reports. Yeah. One being that necessary checks uh, were not done by the firemen, uh, uh, by, by the fire department prior to them entering the building for rescue mission. Other reports suggested lack of equipment, uh, vehicles, trucks, etc. But fact is the deaths could have been avoided. Yeah. Climbers rely on shepherds yeah. heavily. Yeah. They are there to guide you. Yeah. Communication. Mm-hmm. Taking instructions yep. and being honest is vital to your survival. Absolutely. What else have you learned from your climbs, those aspects that have been character building? I think for me, what has been important is knowing when to be a leader and knowing when to be a follower. So a lot of the shepherds are not necessarily educated and you find a lot of Westerners and some of us that go there um, sometimes feel that we, we've got a say in how things should be done. It's always important to be humble and know that this is their, their turf and um, you actually need to, to follow. You know, um, one specific story that I may share is, um, when the earthquake happened, we were in the Western Coom, so that's between Camp 1 and Camp 2 on a glacier. So we were stepping on ice, you know, like frozen ice, really. Um, uh, ice is frozen. <laughs> yeah, we, so we were on a glacier and, and the earth started cracking. Beneath us and it was shaking and I was, it was just my shaper and I. So he pulled his carabiner. So that's a hook into me. And he was like, let's watch and we must jump on one side. You know, like if it opens up. So th- that's how crevasses like open, right? Um, and at that time I was so confident. I mean, it sounds crazy now, but I was confident that he's got this, you know, like we'll jump on one side when it opens and it, it, what seemed like like a few minutes, but I understand it was uh, much less than that. Um, it stopped and all the mountains around us started avalanching and he started praying. So they have this prayer of theirs that they teach us like, Oh, money, pay me home. That's Buddhist prayer. And I just immediately realized that, Oh my God, he's scared. So I can't, like his God doesn't know mine. And I needed to identify like, who's my God? Who do I believe in? Where do I run to? So I think for me, that's a lesson in you actually need to have a firm foundation and know your anchor, you know, in when things are tricky. Because yes, he was leading me, but when he lost faith in himself and needed to call somewhere else, I needed to actually go back to what I know, 
what I'm used to. Um, I think that's an important lesson for me, and I share that with a lot of my friends, that, you know, we just need to know where our anchor is, irrespective of what situation we're in. Because yeah. life will always throw curveballs, oh, and you need to draw from somewhere. From somewhere, yeah. And I mean, considering that your Sherpa obviously would have been experienced. So to have seen him yeah. in that state yeah. must have shook you oh, that to was the a core. <laughs> that was a shock. I, in fact, that actually informed my decision last year to, to decide to go back because I used the same Sherpa. I mean, he last year he had uh, 23 years experience on the mountain. Um, summited five times, I think more than five times. Um, and when we got to the, to the star summit that's 99 meters from the top he was struggling to walk as much as i was so i looked at him and i said um no maybe we should go back and come back tomorrow the next day and he looked at me and said yeah 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 let's do that because i think it's it's it it became very real to me that yes i can draw from his his experience but you know, the weather is, is a curveball that both he and I cannot control. So some sense need to be prevail at some point. You know, the mountain is always there. We can always come back at some point. But when life is lost, you're not going to climb again. You're right. You need, yeah. you need, you need to be sensible at some point. Because, I mean, the, the, when, when I look at the stats, being a shepherd is yes. considered the world's toughest job or the most dangerous job. One third of the hundreds of people who have perished while trying to conquer Everest have been Sherpas. Now, mountaineering is death defying. Avalanches must be every climber's nightmare. Is, is, is this something that, I mean, obviously you don't want to think about that. It's like when you know you're going to take an, an international flight or mm-hmm. anywhere, yeah. the last thing you want to think about is a plane crash, right? Yeah, exactly. But what goes through your, your thoughts, um, day before while you're at base camp? Do you have nightmares about avalanches or being buried no. by, by the, you know, the, the ice, uh, the snow? No, no, absolutely not. Um, it, w- one funny thing is the first time I spent a night at uh, base camp, uh, the avalanches were like rambling in the night. And, and I woke up in the morning and I'm saying in the tent, in the dining tent um, that morning, like, did you guys hear the thunder? And everybody's looking at me, all these European, like, thunder, what thunder? Uh, and it was avalanches. So they're rambling throughout the night. Um, you don't, you don't think about them. You know they're there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like the N1. We know accidents happen, um, you know, on N1, but we still drive. You know, True. um, it, it, if it's your day, Sonia, uh, it's your day. Mm. You know, you sit in the kitchen baking that bread, um, and, and it's your day and you fall down and die. But if you love baking, what an amazing thing to do. I love climbing. If death calls while I'm on the mountain, you know, I'll be, it'll be when I, while I was doing something that I love doing. So Ooh. I don't really think about it. I hear you, but I mean, if, if death comes knocking while you're baking, chances are you were a bad baker. You know, you're, you're, you're so terrible at it that the universe is sending a message that you should not be in the kitchen. Oh, wow. That's actually very funny. <laughs> No, it's probably a sign. You know, the, yeah. the universe has a sense of humor. Mother yeah. Nature has a sense of humor. It's like, oh, you don't want to listen. You, 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 you think your cheesecake <laughs> is all that. It ain't all that. People don't want to be honest with you, but you horrible in the kitchen. Get out. <laughs> now, yeah. you, you, you spoke about the fact that you, you've had numerous attempts at, yeah. um, at Everest, which, Three. So, I mean, 
that in itself, the fact that you've attempted thrice, I mean, it, it, that's perseverance on another level. Where, where do you, where do you, I mean, ooh, English, she's difficult sometimes. Where do you, where do you draw from to, to keep attempting at something? Everest is Nipat and Flaisney. Yeah, no, 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 it isn't. But uh, so is life. You know, life is not pop and place either. You know, um, I, I, it's, it's, it's a goal. Um, I guess it's something that I've committed to, to doing. I love doing it. Um, you know, and, uh, it's unfinished business, so to speak. Um, and if you think about our history, if people gave up, where would we be today? People have done amazing, amazing and Earth-shattering stuff um, to get us to where we are. So um, me going back to finish a climb uh, is not. I don't think it's uh, it's that hectic. It's just I'm able to do it. You know, I still can, and um, I want to finish the business and not give up. And this is somebody who was in a coma for three weeks in 2016, yeah. day before Women's Day. Yeah. Then. A few months later, you went and did the Soweto Marathon. How many kilometers yeah. are we talking about? Uh, it's 42. Okay. <laughs> and then you attempted Everest a few months after yeah. that. Yeah. You're April. in a coma for three weeks and then you end up attempting Everest a few months down the line. Well, the doctors said I could um, if I wanted to, so I went for it. Yeah. Nothing can bring you down, right? Well, I, I wouldn't say that. It, it would take a lot to bring a woman like you down. Um, I, I would think so. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's just taking one step at a time, you know. Um, and, um, I think it's important for us if we believe in our dreams to make sure that, um, they are valid. They, they're pushed forward because nobody else is going to cheer for us if we don't cheer for ourselves and, and make that first step and continue moving. That speaks of your mental state. So when, when, when you know that, um, a summit has to be terminated because yeah. of, uh, threats of bad weather, things that you cannot control, yeah. w- w- what goes through your mind at that instant? I mean, you, you know that a lot of money has been spent already yeah. for you to be there, yeah. but now you know that there's just no ways. It's not safe for you to continue. Mm. So there's, there's now, now you have to be going back home. Yeah. What goes through your mind at that very moment when you are told that this mission is abandoned? I, I think disappointment. Um, you know, I'm, I'm saying that from my experience in 2014 as well as um, uh, 2015, it's, um, it's almost, it's like, oh my God, remember, I would have taken leave from work. Um, you know, I would have um, come with so much hope. And never mind, the money is the last thing that you, you, you think about. Um, but you also look at the circumstances that has led you there. So if you look at 2014, 16 people that died that year, and it's 16 people that had a lot more experience than little me in my tent that was there. You know, again, it was their time. So I was served for a purpose. So you, you tend what, that's what I do. I tend to what I need to be grateful for. I'm alive. I can go back. I can come and attempt again. Um, and you know, it's going to be difficult to get the money and, um, that's fine, but uh, I think I celebrate the little wins. I was able to uh, experience climb by the mountain. I climbed Mount Mira. I climbed La Boucher East. Is what are the positive things that I learned from it? And I moved ahead and making sure that I won't make those mistakes or whatever it is. What I can't control, I get sad about for a few minutes and, and move on. Otherwise, you know, 
<laughs> life wouldn't be great. And then in, in 2017, I mean, yeah. you reached the South Summit, which yes. is 99 meters from the uh, Everest Summit. Yes, that's correct. 99 meters? Yeah. Only 99 meters? Oh, no. You, it's not only I'm, I'm, I'm only I'm only saying only. Yeah. Not just as an only, but yeah. when you consider Everest is what? 8,000? 8,000, 8, yeah. 800 so when you look at 8,000 meters to 99, I yeah. think I can say only because I, I know too, I mean, too, I'm sitting here and I'm yeah. thinking 99 meters is like, yeah. the, the point I'm trying to make is that you were so close. Yes, yeah, so close yet so far. Then what happened? Um, because at that point, also the winds were bad. Um, the oxygen levels are low. Yes, we have uh, oxygen um, bottles and masks at that point. Um, and the 99 meters can take you two to three hours to get to the top and come back because it's literally one step at a time. I know people have climbed Kili, they say one step, pole, pole. It's like a lot more hectic than that. You I know? can imagine. And and the, the the risk of not making it back down is higher. A lot of people actually die coming down. So you need to make take calculated risks. So if I decide I'm going to go in summit no matter what, one of my friends actually did that a few days before we did, and he remained on the mountain. You know, am I going to be able to go back to camp four to safety? If my uh, calculation says probably not, then I decide not to go. Yeah. So you're saying descending, there's also risk because oh, why? Acclimatizing? Um, so you are a lot more tired. Um, it's, it's, uh, um, depending on what time you summited, it's a lot more windy. Um, and, um, yeah, the, the oxygen that you carried, probably it's depleting depending on how fast or how slow you were. And it's also heavy. The uh, oxygen tank is heavy. Yeah, but you carry one at a time. Um, so the shepherds go before you and they leave some of the oxygen tanks on the way and he carries a spare one all the time. So, um, you know, it's about three kilograms that you'll be carrying and your own um, bottles. And also the more time you spend up there, the less water you you, you have. Um, because from Camp 4 to the summit and back, you actually can't melt any ice for water. What you have is what you have between yourself and your Sherpa. So there's a lot of um, things that come into play that you need to be cognizant of as you make decisions to, to move forward. So now you have more than five years of mountaineering experience, right? Yes. So I, th- I think you're, you're, you're somebody to go to if somebody wants to start. Not me, but <laughs> I'll be sure to send other people to you. Yeah. What is the next mission that you are training for or yeah. you, you considering uh, embarking on? So the, there's a lot of things. What I've um, done is, um, first of all, I'm, I am planning to go back to Everest 2019. Um, I've partnered with um, Jeanette McGill. She's currently in uh, Kathmandu trying to be the first South African on Mount Manasalo. So it's to try and see, I've seen how I've struggled as a female in, in this world to get people to buy my story, to help me with my clients. You know, how can I, the little, I don't think I'm experienced by any means, but the little that I know, how can I share with other women that want to do this? Because this is all about hiking, really. But it's the next level of hiking. So if you're bored with that hiking that you're doing in your hood, uh, what else do you want to do? Um, I want to be able to, to help them do that. The other thing that I've started is, uh, it's called Expeditionist. Um, 
we have nine peaks, nine highest peaks in the nine provinces around South Africa. So we keep going to all these mountains around the world. You know, let's showcase what we have. And we have youths that stay at the, at the foot of those mountains that climb there every day. But uh, can they gain economic um, work or can they be economically rich by using the mountain? through guiding other people up the mountain and down. So I'm trying to identify um, unemployed youths that want to get into guiding. Uh, it might not pay much, but uh, it's my way of giving back and maybe making sure that people that are not generally into the outdoors get into it because it's not about being physically fit from the first day. It's about just taking that leisure walk up that hill next to you or, you know, that hike. Um, so there's a lot of things that are on the go for me, um, and I'm excited about that. And the nine peaks are cheaper than me trying to go to Everest. I probably can do nine peaks uh, mm. a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> now, of all the mountains you've yeah. summited, what has been the most taxing financially, mentally, physically, emotionally? Oh, without a doubt, Everest, eh? Without a doubt. It's a monster, oh, right? Man. Yeah, it's, um, when I, th- Think about it. I, I think I have a love-hate relationship. It's like flipping, draining my bank account. <laughs> mm. um, but at the same time, like, I have to do this. Um, and and physically, at, at some point, it's not how much you trained. It's it's your mental, um, you know, uh, capacity to to move forward. It's one of those mountains that uh, I have a lot of respect for. I mean, I look, I respect all mountains. I think it's important to do that. Don't pitch or Everest without training. Um, but um, at the same time, I, um, it's one mountain that I would love to climb, not just from the south side, from the north side one day as well. <laughs> so having a six-pack doesn't guarantee that you're going to... No, absolutely not. Because mm-hmm. that's the assumption, right? <laughs> the assumption is that no. you, 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 if, if, if you are chiseled and physically fit and you eat healthy, I can just no. go up a, up a mountain. Definitely no. not. Definitely not Everest, right? No. Okay. I hope no. people are listening. <laughs> Yeah, six pack guarantees nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So now you are a business executive. Yes. Elon Musk smoked Dacha during an interview. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Just weeks after saying it kills productivity. Yeah. He said weed kills productivity, yeah. but then a week ago yeah. he smoked weed during mm. a live radio interview. Yeah. What is your opinion on that? I think, look, I, I don't know him, so obviously, but I know of him. Um, I think it's important to be authentic and honest. He clearly wasn't honest. He, he was being politically, politically correct, I suppose. Um, he wanted, he told us what he thought we would want to hear. For me, it's important to be who I am. I am Sarah. What I say, um, or do, even if I make a mistake, I need to be honest about it. I think he probably should have stayed away if he knows that he enjoys the luxuries of of Dacha, you know, instead of uh, painting one face to the public and then he's caught doing the the exact same thing. I don't believe so in climbing. If I go back to climbing, there's um, there's a lot of things that people take to to help with uh, with altitude. Um, it's not always safe because you don't know how the environment up there and your physique at that point will react. As in someone takes a joint up Mount Everest. Uh, no, 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 no. Does the uh, lighter even work? The match, <laughs> the match probably doesn't even work. <laughs> It'll work at some point. Remember, we have oxygen bottles. Eh? 
Oh, but that, that's risk of an explosion right know, there. Imagine an oxygen tank is a recipe for disaster I for know. a joint. <laughs> I know, but no, no, no. So I, I don't believe people, people take that. Um, in fact, they discourage alcohol as well, um, up there, but there are tablets that people take for adrenaline. Um, there is Dymox, which people take to help. Um, and, uh, some of it is okay. Some of it, you just need to be honest with yourself. So when I did Kilimanjaro, um, I, I struggled my first mountain. Um, I did take Dymox on the last day. I've s- since stopped taking Dymox. I take a lot of water. I try and play it by ear and see how my body will react to, to the environment. So now I came across an article yeah. with this headline. Yeah. Chastised. For expressing emotion and raising their voices at work Many women empathize with Serena Williams Studies say I know you're laughing Because I know I think I know you know where this is going So now studies say men are more likely to be tapped for leadership roles yep. When they speak up mm-hmm. Your opinion on that? Oh, that is very true. Look, uh, you know, we, we claim that they sit at the table, um, to be able to be seen. And I know that, uh, a lot of times you be labeled. Um, that has actually, if I look at my career, it's, it's not like that anymore. You know, I don't have to be macho to be seen. I can be me, female, mothering, um, and, and still claim that sit, um, at the table. Um, yeah, well, the Serena story is a, is a bit of a tricky one because uh, obviously other people of a different gender have done what she's done and they were not um, reprimanded as much as she was, uh, which I think is what is wrong with the world. We need to be consistent and we need to admit when when we're wrong. And unfortunately, it, it overshadowed uh, poor Naomi, um, but I, I wish it would have been under different circumstances. Um, and I think rather than taking sides, we need to actually have a conversation on how we can make it right for the next generation. Sarah. Yes. Thank you for spending your quality time with me. This was amazing. It was enlightening. It was inspiring. And women like you inspire us to continue, especially when it seems like the odds are stacked against you. Thank you. You are an inspiration. I've learned so much from your story yesterday doing the research for the show. And I have so much respect for you. Thank you. And I'm honored that you came and spoke about what inspires you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, we have a date. Yeah. And forever is best. <laughs> it's on record. I'm she just putting a, it out there. A, she has a sense of humor. <laughs> Thank you, Sonia. No chance. (laughs) My humble opinion, after all, this is the opinion booth. But these come in the opinion of Abdul Kalam, APJ. When we tackle obstacles, we find hidden reserves of courage and resilience we did not know we had. And it is only when we are faced with failure do we realize that these resources were always there within us. We only need to find them and move on with our lives. And in the words of Sarah, this is for all the African daughters, girls and women that dare to dream. It is an affirmation that your dreams are valid. 
Absolutely. Continue to work hard, work smart with resilience and determination. Believing in our dreams as we convert the world into our cheerleaders. Yeah. Find courage to defy our fears and embrace with all the consequences the dreams that haunt us. Stay relentless in pursuit of less common interests that fulfill our ambitions. Yeah. Aspire to inspire before you expire. This is CliffCentral.com.